Welcome back to Beyond the Comet podcast, where we talk about the magic and the mystery of the future. My name is Ahmed, and I'm here with Cody. And today we're going to be talking about the future of language. Specifically, when does our language get updated? Cody, I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. When do you think our language gets updated and where do we go from here? I actually think it's uh, coming pretty soon. Like, uh, you know, the reason why we started to talk about this subject matter was because I got an article in my newsfeed um, about a new process that uh, is non-invasive and uses an fMRI to record your uh, brain activity while I think the patients are listening to podcasts. I think it's like a couple hours of podcasts. And what they're able to do is they're able to uh, track the neural um, you know, reactivity uh, and map it to language. And not even just language, but just like ideas in general so it can actually um take the imagery that that is being elicited by your brain while this activity is happening and come up with kind of a representation a language representation that fits that model which is really really cool i mean because yeah. you know we we've seen a lot of this stuff um you know the pig uh with the you know elon musk what is it Neuralink, yeah, Neuralink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Neuralink process, but you know, no one, I don't think, really wants to cut a hole in their head to get this. You know, other than if you need it for a prosthesis, uh, mm-hmm. if you have disabilities that you're hopefully trying to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but this being non-invasive just seems like a really big step into a future um, that I've seen only represented in. Uh, media and specifically uh, there's a book that I am going to reference here because I think it is the most clear and perfect example of where we're headed Um, it's by John Scalzi it's uh, old man's war Mm -hmm. it's by by far an amazing book Uh, if anyone has the opportunity to read or listen to it um, please do but in this book the, the gist is in this book they have something called a brain pal that's inside of you know your inside of your head. I don't, I don't know. They don't really get into the just, I think it is installed. So it's more of a surgical and invasive mm-hmm. process. But once this is installed, now you can communicate through thought, you know, with other individuals around you, along with a host of other stuff that's, you know, it, it's also an AI that, you know, helps you throughout your day and basically like reminders. And it's, it's a personal assistant that gotcha. continually helps you out throughout the day. So Google in your head, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, I, I definitely see this kind of coming as a transfer into the way that we communicate as both like individuals and as groups and as mm-hmm. societies. Um, I mean, the crazy part about this in the book, because they go really in depth and, you know, they go, you know, you, you basically join into groups. So like as... You can join into your like because the whole thing is it's a it's a military based novel so um, mm-hmm. in the future, but you know they, so they have to they have to interface with their uh, team and mm-hmm. they can hear all the chatter that's happening on their team but you know it it is really difficult for the new people that have just entered into this kind of futuristic uh, interface to handle the amount of communication that's happening all at once. Right. Um, but there are also examples in the book where people who have had it their whole lives, because these are, it, it's, I'm not going to explain the whole book, but mm-hmm. um, basically there's two groups. There's, there's those that have had it their whole lives. And the way that they interact with it is so quick that even the people that have 
the interface introduced to them later in life, they mm -hmm. cannot even communicate with the people that have had it their whole life because wow. of the amount of speed and efficiency that they can communicate ideas and thoughts across mm -hmm. an entire group. And when you look at it this way and you kind of look back at how this is also true in our own language, mm -hmm. you know, the way that, you know, people are now, if you take, you know, your parents or your grandparents and stuff, and you try to express communication that has come up, like even memes, like, mm -hmm. you know, how much information can be packed into just a simple image right. with text, right. you know, and, and it can elicit, you know, huge ideas, you know, and, and huge understandings across vast amounts of people. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't even have that, you know? So it's like, it, it's not, it's not so much that this is a jump into a new evolution, this is just a continuation of an evolution that's been going on in language, you know, our entire existence, you know, it, right. it, um, we're just more efficient, you know, in, in the use of language. What's interesting is typically when we think of efficiency in language, I think people think of positives, like it streamlines how many words you need to say something. For example, with your meme example, um, you can just show someone a picture of something and then that conveys a whole bunch of understanding shared history, you know, it was supposed to be humorous, all of these things you can pack into one image, where if you don't have that background, it doesn't hit, it doesn't really mean anything. And I think the as the efficiency increases, that's only going to happen more where the people in the know, for example, our generation, or younger generations who are in the know with whatever technology, there is going to be a bigger gulf between them and those who are in previous generations who don't have exposure to a lot of the same technologies, a lot of the same cultural references, and that language will kind of separate from them. Yeah, and you know, I, I find this all the time. When you speak to uh, younger crowds, and, and I, um, I've had a lot of experience with this uh, in the meme world, mm -hmm. it's like you had to, I can't do it, I, I, I cannot, like, because they know meme references for like the last 10 years. And it's not even like just some of them. It's mm -hmm. like all of them and, and how the history of the memes have have unfolded throughout, you know, this when whenever it started. Um, yeah. It's impossible to, to even like if you if you weren't basically a kid that, that thought that was amazing at the time, it's really difficult to come around and try to learn it from you know, the entire history after the fact, you know, yeah, and, and it's not a history book type thing where you just read the facts and figure it out. Because I think the context changes over time, like a meme that was supposed to be funny before can mean something else now and like layers of memes on top of each other. It's very much experiential. I don't think it's something you read in a textbook. Well, yeah. And and then, you know, it get one gets deep fried. And then, the, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, then it's changed. And then people mess with the words that are on the to make them a little different. And then right. it's like, yeah, crazy it's like they have mm -hmm. each meme has its own like historical life like you could probably create a youtube channel just based, and i'm sure there is but just based right. off of the history of each meme and you could take a meme and show the evolution of that meme throughout its life and and it's just it's it's crazy that you know these are compressed ideas and and they're mm -hmm. not even compressed ideas they're like almost emotional feelings of what is humorous and you know what is actionary in our society um and it's like if you if you're coming too late you know it's like you miss it you just don't you don't even understand what the hell's going on well you know it's kind of i like the phrase that history doesn't repeat but it rhymes and it's not too different than 
every generation, which has its own words, it has its own sayings or kind of ways of communicating that the older generations don't get. And they see as, you know, shocking or different. And they see all the problems with it that, oh, this isn't the true language. But I think it's, as you're saying, it's evolution. It's, as time goes on, we keep getting more efficient or maybe not even efficient, but just things become more comfortable for people to communicate with in each generation. And it's true. It can be either inclusive or exclusive. It can push people out who aren't with the language. But for those who get memes, who get the new lingo, they can keep up with each other better and kind of feel tighter because of that. Yeah. And it's uh, when I was doing a little bit of research on for this episode, I looked up acronyms. I was like, you know, when did this start? When did, you know, we, mm -hmm. we, now I think we're inundated, like we're so many acronyms all the time. You know, it's almost insane how many acronyms. And I mean, we even joked about it in a previous episode uh, mm -hmm. with SETI being there's two SETIs. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and they're spelled exactly the same. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that there's so many different people that want to use acronyms that we can't even have a unique space mm -hmm. uh, anymore. But uh, the first acronym that, that I could find was only, you know, the late 1800s. Wow. And I was like, really? Like nobody would use yeah, acronyms before that? Um, mm -hmm. And it just shows like how that, that compresses an idea. You know, it's like a shorthand. And it's a shorthand in language, but um, I actually found this a lot when I was in school. Um, there's so many shorthands to convey ideas, you know, mm -hmm. in, in higher level concepts that, you know, you, it, it's so that the the information just keeps getting compressed and whoops, compressed and compressed. Mm -hmm. And then the teacher just will explain to you once and then use that compressed representation of that information and then just use that so that it's almost like you're continually compressing information over and over again uh, yeah. until you can you can get this shorthand. And you see this in a lot of industries now, but I don't I don't feel like this necessarily is something that was as compressed like earlier on, like, I, I don't mm -hmm. think if you were to go and, and speak with people in the 18th century or the 17th century, you know, the, the same amount of compression that we are used to today would exist. Um, yeah. Yeah. And no, I also I, actually like, it's kind of, sorry to keep going, but that's okay. uh, where I also find it interesting is in like Shakespearean speech, you know, mm -hmm. how many words they use that, that are unnecessary today that we've, we've, found that don't really communicate anything, but they're more about style, they're stylistic mm -hmm. words and they're, you know, and we boiled down language into such a precise, you know, element of communication. Right. Uh, and it's just crazy. It's like, it's really yeah. interesting. What's interesting to me is I've always thought I've leaned towards the efficiency aspect of it. Like, I just get your thoughts across, like, I need to do this. And it always, especially as a kid learning, you know, uh, learning about Shakespeare and reading some of the plays, it seemed like, all right, get to the point. Like, what is the point? Why so many extra words? But then you realize there's kind of a loss of that style and a loss of the art of speech and kind of the nuance in what you say. Because it's not just like, I want to get dinner with you. Someone might say it in like a romantic way or a friendly way or, you know, be expecting a certain conversation by saying what they say. And I think a lot of that gets lost the more we move towards acronyms and more efficient thought where it's, I don't, I, this is an extreme, but at a certain point, is it just going to be like computer code where it's like, you know, I expect this. If I get this, then I will receive this, you know, like, is that how we're going to start communicating with each other? 
You know, I, I think that it, it really comes down to the speed of the transfer of information. I don't know. I think we're getting to the cusp, and, and this is what we're going to talk about in the second part, is we're getting to the cusp where communication itself is going to have to change because it's too slow to accommodate the increased speed of, of transfer of information. Mm -hmm. um, but you even like you can even see this uh, through just one generation or, or uh, you know, gap between people. Uh, you know, like this whole thing where words are were being shortened and combined mm -hmm. and like, you know, no, people weren't even using full words anymore. And it, it, it bugs me. I feel the same way. Like we're losing something. We're losing an elegance. Of, yep. But regardless, it's happening. And if you talk to somebody from that generation, they don't feel that way. They don't, they feel like that's normal because they're indoctrinated into this moment of communication that they will kind of take on. But then they're going to look back and, you know, to somebody who's shorting it even more. Yeah. And I mean, like, well, at, that's weird. I don't like at, that. I'm look at our know, situation. Because yeah, when's the last time you wrote a letter? Like an oh, actual yeah. letter to someone. And that seems that seems like why am I going to take up that much time to send someone a message? And we got used to email and then text and you know, quickly sending someone a, a sentence basically back and forth. Very logically, someone, uh, you know, our parents or grandparents could say, like, that's so inelegant, that's so like rough to just say a quick sentence instead of sitting down and writing a full letter. But we obviously, that feels normal for us. And I think it's just a normal transition that we're moving towards more and more efficiency. But I, I think just to play up again, what we're talking about in the next part is the efficiency is coming. And then it really calls into question, like, are these words that we're creating with our mouth or writing down with our hand or typing into a phone? Is that fast enough to keep up? And I don't know that it is. Well, you know, it's it's super interesting that we're going back to imagery, you know, um, mm -hmm. with the memes and just the, I, I feel like the way that because I think language is now becoming it's almost like when we were painting on wall, you know, like as cavemen, we were mm -hmm. using imagery because we didn't have the language to convey it because it wasn't strong enough. And then we found language and that was so much more efficient. But now we're moving so fast. Language is not efficient enough. And we're going back to imagery and we're going back to this idea of just conveying ideas, you know, like if, mm -hmm. if I can transfer exactly what I feel, think, and know to you or a group of people, it is going to be highly more efficient um, than any communication that you can try to use with your own voice. Right. No, that's for sure. And it's kind of uh, like you can anticipate, okay, shorter and shorter uh, text messages or a little more abbreviated words. So. I can see that. But when you're talking about basically, it's not even like the I say something, you say something, but it's just like an ongoing conversation that you can have with someone. Like basically, not to use neural link, but you're basically connecting with someone else's thought process and just exchanging your own imagination, your own dreams, your own visions at the same time they are. And I don't know, I, I have a hard time visualizing what that's going to be like. Yeah, it's um, recommend this book mm -hmm. by far. It is a uh, it is an amazing representation of, I think, what we're going to get into. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the one thing that I there's two elements that I've kind of recognized while we've been talking is one, as we've shortened the communication and lost basically the elegance of communication, we're also losing the emotional and connective Mm -hmm. part of communication um because you know without it's it's funny you know we're now using emojis 
to, and, and I think that's more just because um, there's no tone in text. So mm -hmm. we have to use emojis, but um, I do think that, you know, with shorter communications and, and, and with the speed at which we're, we're trying to elevate to, it does reduce the amount of feeling that comes out of it. The, the unique words that try to convey, yep. you know, whatever they're trying to say, but um, yeah, I mean, it's not I, efficient. I, Emotions oh, yeah. aren't efficient, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's getting your point across is more important than getting your emotions across. So if you're choosing efficiency, I don't think you can have, it's like kind of a continuum. You can't have both. You have to decide the balance that you accept. Maybe. Mm. I mean, that's where we are now. And maybe that's why these yeah. neural interfaces will be uplifting. Like I'm an always a positive person, you know, in all these situations. So mm -hmm. um, how I think it is, is it, because the, the one thing that these, this person to person interaction without voice, you know, through thoughts, is emotions are just a copy. We're just using our voice to explain what, what is going on in our brain because right. the emotions are eff effectively just neurons being fired in our brain. So if you can find a accurate copy of that emotion and you can then also convey not only the idea, but exactly how the person is feeling, exactly the emotional context, mm -hmm. we might actually have more efficiency in emotional communication that we've ever had, which is that's true, crazy. Yeah, and I guess my my and this is what I'm still having trouble getting past is I'm still thinking of current communication, and even if I extrapolate, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, but that's not what this kind of neural connection is. It's a deeper thing. It's not just I have a list of plans for the weekend. I'm going to send them to your brain. You're going to know how I feel about each activity that we're doing. You're going to know, you know, in general, how interested I am in hanging out or not. You're going to feel those things. And I think it's talk about growing pains. That's going to be a difficult process for people to accept that a, you know, even to the aspect of how much do you want to share? Like I, for some reasons, for some things I might want to share fully and let everyone know specifically how I feel about it. But I'm sure there's plenty of situations where you want to play that back or maybe express that you're interested, but you're not really interested, you know, unless you're indoctrined into the system. Yeah. And that's, and that's I guess the whole goes thing. Back to your book. Yeah. Well, you know, it, that's, that is exactly how it's going to be. The way you feel is mm -hmm. going to be for those that are first adapters, you know, that, that kind of uh, grew into this or uh, aged into this technology Right. Um, rather than grew up with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we will want to have this freedom of thought. But on the other side, I think people that that will be born into this will have the opposite effect where if they aren't connected all the time, feeling other people around them all the time, they're going to feel cut off and alone. Yeah. And that's that's the interesting nature of any group. The more tight that group is, the worse it feels to be outside of that group and the more polarizing it can be to be either shunned or forced out of the group because it's such a. So we had a little technical issue there. Um, if you can just sum up what you said in the beginning of. Yeah, no, I was going to say that it's the more you have a group that's tight and connected the tougher it is for a person when they're excluded from the group. I think the more they rely on that group for their self-worth, for communication, for their happiness, the tougher it is 
when they are kicked out. And I think it's only going to increase more when people have more they can share, more they can connect with. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, there, there is this element, though, of basically if, if you are now naked to this group, because mm -hmm. if, if everything is being shared and you can't really hide anything uh, fully transparent of what you're thinking and feeling at all times, I think the group itself will kind of help struggling individuals uh, identify those things because the group itself has a standard um, that, and, and this works without brain interfaces, you know, but, uh, but often, mm -hmm. you know, this, this, then this drives somebody away. I don't know, because again, it could drive somebody outside of the group, but at least it's identified early and maybe those people can be helped. Um, yeah, but there's it, gonna be a lot of side processes that I don't yeah. know, hopefully. And it, it just shifts how we think about language in general, because I know from, you know, I grew up with, a, I've learned a different language. I learned Tamil as my first language and then picked up English. So I've seen how language can be used to insulate people and also connect people. And it's going to change it a lot because people use language if they want to have a private conversation and they don't want everyone else to, to hear. They use language to you know, show that they understand someone and then bring them into their group. Like, oh, I speak a little of your language. You know, I can be friendly to you. All of a sudden, if it's instantaneous and you can just connect with people, I do kind of subscribe to your rosier outlook where people can just share. They can be vulnerable because there isn't that structure of, I need to keep you out because you're not part of my language or part of my group. If you start thinking like we can all, it sounds very rosy, but it's very true. If we can all communicate, there isn't a limit to the person that you can share ideas with. And it, potentially that could be a great thing. I do have my concerns, but potentially that could be a great thing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think that, uh, it does, language defines us so well, like, you know, what our society is. I mean, there's always that thing that, um, you know, certain languages have this many words for this kind of concept because, mm -hmm. you know, just historically, that's how the language was constructed. But then it also kind of self-defines that community because there's so many words that are that are of this concept, but not too, not enough words of this concept. Right. Um, where, yeah, if there's a, if there's this, because all of the stuff still exists on equal grounds, but if it's just basically emotion and concept and mm -hmm. a mapping between those two things, between groups and people, uh, yeah, I totally agree. You know, there's going to be this element of inclusion um, that allows for, you know, everybody to kind of be in one uh, unique space. So even the divisions between cultures, you know, kind of falls away. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, you could also say that this that kind of erases identity a little bit, right. you know, that there's right. there's less uh, cultural identity mm -hmm. um, without these languages. And but I, I, I you know, I also think that, uh, you know, if, you know, the identity of people that are having or do have social issues will be a lot easier because, you know, you won't be able to hide, um, right. which I think is a good thing. I, I don't know. I mean, at least they can get help. At least they can find some sort of resource to try to bring them back into what is considered a quality group member. Right. I, I guess what concerns me in general about these, this technology, and we're talking about some you know, technological addition or 
interface to allow you to share your thoughts with others. I worry that if that power exists, it's going to be used, and like with everything, there's a chance that it can be used for bad reasons, for bad actors who use that information and can shift way th shift the way things happen. And again, I'm limited by the way I'm thinking of our current language, that if I could, for example, read your thoughts about what you're going to do today, I could figure out ways to take advantage of that for my own gain. And in the future, maybe if the whole culture shifts to sharing and being more connected, that can be possible. But as the technology develops and we're still in our current phase, I think there are going to be some problems with allowing others access to basically your brain. Yeah, and I think that that's the difference. Because right now what we've been talking about is output. Um, mm -hmm. And once you, and with any output, there's also the, the possibility of input. Right. Uh, and this is now neural hacking, you know, um, people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, it's, that could be very problematic because you could get basically an army of people that, that don't understand why they are doing the things they're doing because right. they're being influenced, but they're still mm -hmm. doing it as in, as if they thought it was their own idea. Right. Which is extremely terrifying. And, yeah. and even, even in the less terrifying example of, you know, marketers, <clears throat> if you find out, okay, if I do these things, this person will go buy, <clears throat> go buy this product. If just knowing that changes. And the scary part, as you said, is that people think it's their own idea. And the more oh. you can implant this idea or this thought or this trigger to make them do a certain thing, and they still think it's their own idea. It's almost like there's a problem or a kind of like a, a virus that you can't detect that's controlling you, but you can't detect it. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's been also represented in, in certain media that I can think of. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a great scene in, in ghost in the shell, which is an anime where this guy mm -hmm. basically gets hacked and, and he thinks he has a wife and a dog and, mm -hmm. or, or I think he does have a dog, but he thinks he has a whole family. Right. Um, and he's showing a picture to the police, like, sorry, the camera's here showing mm -hmm. a picture to the police. And he's like, look, look at my family. And they're like, they're, they're, it's just you and your dog. You know, it's like, right. you, there's no family in that picture. But the mm -hmm. way he was seeing it, and they had to completely com decompress his image of what he thought was going on, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and he was just using, he was being used by a bigger organization or, um, you know, terrorist cell in order mm -hmm. to do whatever they needed him to do, you know? And he, had, he right. thought he was doing what he always did. Mm -hmm. His whole identity was basically made up and he had no idea. And we're back. Just proof that we're real humans and not AI or robots. We will have technical issues, but hopefully we'll push through and figure it out. So I think, Cody, we were talking about some of the negative effects of being able to express your what's your deepest interior thoughts. Some of the risks include you know, other people getting into that, other people controlling that, and some of the risks involved with that. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the last thing I mentioned was Ghost in the Shell. Um, there's actually another movie um, called Gamer, which I really enjoyed, mm -hmm. uh, where it it's a it, it doesn't exactly touch on this, but it is part of the end part of the movie where he's basically using um, this same influence, and people will go in, and their job is to be NPCs in these mm -hmm. experiences, and while they're NPCs, uh, their entire um, Actually, no, they're not even NPCs. They're avatars. So mm. someone else can take over their uh, bodies and use them in these places and do whatever they want. 
in that body and feel the f- things they feel and everything. And they go, this is like a job for them. They go to work. And in the end, like, you know, it's, it's his expansion of this kind of universe uh, allows him to be a, become a dictator or it is implied that the, the leader of this company that is doing this is going to try to become a dictator. Right. Um, very scary stuff, man. And, and, and you know, yeah. it's funny that it's like, I, I truly believe that media is our window into these possible futures mm-hmm. that we need to look out for. No, I was had that thought recently and not to take too much of a tangent, but you look back at some of the science fiction stuff and, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it just seemed outlandish and like, oh, that's funny. These guys are coming up with outrageous things for the future. But then you see more and more of these things actually happen, maybe not in the exact way they said, but in some form. And I think science fiction is just our best guesses of what might happen. And I think instead of just looking at it as some fanciful story, we should look at it as maybe we should take some caution before we jump into these technologies or at least develop the safeguards at the same time we're bringing these online. Because I like the idea of being able to communicate with someone in Cambodia without knowing their language. But I also don't love the idea that the same technology could be used to figure out what each of us is thinking without our consent. Yeah, I don't know if you can safeguard against it too too much because, you know, as we're seeing with artificial intelligence right now and large language models, which, you know, we talk about every episode, but mm-hmm. um, very relevant, uh, mm-hmm. it is impossible to stop the train. <laughs> like, you know, there, yeah. there have been attempts already, you know, to try to stop that train because of, uh, the alignment issue where they don't believe that the artificial intelligence will be aligned with human ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, I don't think that we're going to be able to take caution. I think it's just going to happen, you know, and, and maybe, you know, people need to start to take these scenarios and fund research that might now, you know, before it happens, because we have to be a little bit more, you know, considering 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, what should we start now so that we don't run into the same problem as large language models where we're just starting? I mean, there has been alignment research for a while, but it's way behind the, you know, the research that's gone into, you know, actual implementation and use of the product. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's the lesson we're going to continually learn over the generations that we need to start to front load our research to protect ourselves. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that history has taught us that many times, but the excitement of the current day and the future, it kind of overshadows that. And we think this will be different. This We, we can handle this one or this will help us out enough that um, we don't need to create these safeguards or we don't need to plan for it. And I think it's also the fact that, and both of us have said this before, where we're hopeful that as AI and other technologies develop, the solutions for the problems they create will be built in. They'll be, they will come also at the same time. Yeah, but specifically for this issue and like this idea of prediction of the future, I mean, if you get now AI that's developing all film, media, you know, that, that it, one, it might cloud the uh, visualization of what actually is happening because of the, their ability to non-emotionally create subject matter that might be outside of the realm because I, I i do think that the reason why we're seeing a lot of accurate future predictions inside of media and inside of science fiction is because i think that there is a compelling element of being closely aligned with what is believable mm-hmm. in the future 
you know, as humans, like we enjoy seeing something that kind of scares us because, oh my gosh, that could happen. AI doesn't have that emotional effect, but maybe it will copy that emotional effect, but it also can just totally disregard it. So I think that there's going to be a lot more coming out that might not, it might cloudy that, that visionary element of media, but it still will increase it. So I, I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up before that is just jumping to mind right now is the volume of information that is going to just overcome us is kind of frightening for me because we're talking about, you know, we both speak English and there's a lot of information available to us in English and there's pretty easy translations to English, but there's still plenty of languages and plenty of ideas, plenty of concepts, movies, you know, all sorts of media that are in languages that are inaccessible to us right now. But if you all of a sudden allow us and everyone else in the world to access all of the world's information, truly access it, and to not just see it and hear it, but to feel it, I don't know that we're ready to take in all that information and even just to sift through for the stuff that's actually valuable or actually useful. I don't know how we can, we're not ready for that. I mean, these are, there, there are actually two more examples. I know this is at the end of the episode, but there's two more examples uh, that we didn't even touch upon. Um, you know, they're, uh, the, the next uh, Ready Player Two, uh, which mm -hmm. is a book, it's never been made into a movie, but really good book. Uh, and I think I've referenced it before, but in, in that book, they have neural interfaces. Um, and the way they use it is to be able to relive other people's experiences. And this has been in other movies before. Mm -hmm. um, I forget the, it's not, it's Spinal Tap. It's like something like that where they, anyways, you can relive other people's memories and there's a network of, you know, so this is basically the future of YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, and if we are able to take the visual um, representation in our brain, you know, in, in, put someone else's visual representation in our own brains and their emotional mm -hmm. uh, feelings, now that becomes the future of media, um, which is crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. It's crazy to think that that's where we're gonna head. Um, but I, now I can't remember what the second one was. The volume of information that we'll have to sift through? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, it's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be yeah. a lot. And I, I think it will interconnect us in some way that I, I feel like the whole system's kind of, is a redefinition and an, a re-efficionizing, which is an, isn't a word, <laughs> but of the um, ability to connect us all as human beings. So like, we'll be way more connected if we can, you know, if, if everybody can go on stage um, as Taylor Swift, I don't know why I chose her, but uh, <laughs> you know, if everybody can go on stage and feel what she feels in those moments, uh, it, it kind of, cause that is a very unique part of life that not everybody's going to have access to that may have taught her lessons and realizations of who she is. I mean, humans themselves will start to change because now instead of there's only certain people that can access certain pieces of, you know, evolution that, you know, personal evolution, you know, by experience, mm -hmm. now everybody can access it. Everybody has the access to the same data set. So what does that even mean? Like we're almost all gaining, like, what does it mean to go, you know, fight in wars? Like, uh, right. you know, if you really wanted to track that and feel what it means that, I mean, you know, obviously your life isn't at risk, but I suppose you could. Yeah. And that brings to mind something else. Like this is the same. I, if there were podcasts when the, the movable type and books were just coming out and being made available to everyone, I have a feeling they would be saying the same thing. 
like, what are we going to do? Like right now it's with the governments and, you know, religious leaders and people with money, all the books, but now it's going to go to everyone. Think of all the problems that'll create. Think of all the information that'll be there. But it, and it, there are obviously benefits that came from people having access to books. But after a certain point, people just accept that it's there. And there's so much knowledge in books, and, you know, tons of sources over the internet that people aren't accessing. Obviously, there are people who do, but I don't think it's going to sweep across and every single person is going to have a better life because of this. I think a lot of times they'll take the experience, the fun aspect of it. But if we're using your Taylor Swift example, I don't think it's going to simulate all of the hours she spent training or rehearsing or going through all the work because people, quite frankly, don't want to put up with that. They just want to get to the end result. Oh, no, of course. But I, I think by mapping the emotional feelings of that person so and, and just their presence in that moment so mm -hmm. accurately and you know i said that you wouldn't know you know that if you went to war you it might not be the same because you might not you you know that you're not going to die but if you're perfectly mapped to that individual that was there right you know now what it means to risk your life for a cause which is mm -hmm. something that i don't think you know most people are able to connect with but now everybody will be able to connect with that. Um, every and you know, there, there's all sorts of uh, other benefits that that I see. Like you know, for political leaders, they won't be able to hide anything because their emotional intent will be, um, you know, be scrutinized. Uh, and even I, from the aspect of, you know, understanding just in a base level, like understanding why a person is the way they are, or what challenges they have, you know, or what it feels like to walk into a room of people who are different than them. Not everyone has that ability or that experience in their own life, but if you could all of a sudden put on a headset or, you know, start a program and then you're experiencing life as someone growing up in China who comes to the United States for the first time. And that may be an opportunity that very a limited number of people have that you can all of a sudden open up to anyone who wants to participate. Yeah. And um, it, it, the other, the other, the other example I, I remembered it is mm -hmm. the Matrix, which is the downloading of information into your brain at high capacities. Mm -hmm. So now, if that becomes a reality, and we're able to create the neural pathways that of an expert, or you know, it also you know changes that completely. Like now, there is no every human is basically on the same playing field. Um, there's nothing special about anybody, but we're all special. We're all enhanced. Like I, it's gonna be really interesting. Like I, it just yeah, kind of blows my mind if 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 we are aligning ourselves with what all of these different um, predictions and media are showing us. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Like it's gonna be again just a crazy, crazy world. And you're talking about just delivering, for example, the you know battlefront footage. You're saying delivering that as is to a person. But then I worry. What if someone tweaks it and makes it seem like a better or worse experience than it actually is? And then if you have people adjusting, you know, the more we believe something is honest and real and actually happened, the more risky it is that someone could tweak that for their own benefit. And we've already seen the problems with misinformation. And we've talked about it on previous episodes, but that only gets worse the more people believe something is factual and real. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and uh, you know, um, for the example of, of, you know, making sure you know the emotional intent of mm -hmm. the president, yeah, that can all be doctored. I mean, I, I suppose anything that is 
transferred to you, you know, because if it's mapped in a certain way, you can map it in any way you want. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I mean, overloading of the, of the brain, you know, you could, right. you could just overload it, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it becomes su such a, I mean, cause you can, uh, there are signals you can send to computers to, and, and there's not so much anymore, but um, there were times where you could send a program that would fire off the same, you know, um, transistors over and over again, overheat something, mm -hmm. blow the computer, you know, and, and, and this has obviously happened enough. So it's protected against now, but, uh, no reason you can't do that, you know, make people insane, fry parts of their brains. Right. I mean, it's not to the same extent, but even when we're talking about all the additional levels of communication and, oh, now you don't just need to know letters and words and sentences. You have to also know memes and gifs and all sorts of additional things to communicate. It's obviously, I think most people can deal with that now, but as that keeps going up and up and you have more acronyms to remember, more you know references and more context clues, all of that can get overwhelming. And I think we're already seeing that in terms of people's mental health and how they deal with social media. There's a lot of impact and it's a lot of change in a very condensed period of time. And if we're talking about not just having what our current inputs are, but increasing that tenfold, thousandfold, how are our brains going to keep up? I mean, that's going to be the amazing thing is it's going to, it's going to be evolution. I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, a type of evolution that we've never seen at a speed that we've never seen. I mean, mm -hmm. to introduce these kinds of technologies into our day-to-day -day process is an evolution of itself, but it will require the amount of information. I mean, the amount of stress that, that will be on the brain will require an evolution of strength to handle all of that. Um, I mean, yeah. I, already, I already see the evolution. I think people are smarter every generation. Uh, and you hear parents talk about this. Oh my gosh, my kids are so smart. You know, it's, it's because yeah. they're forced to be. I mean, they're, they're, the system keeps becoming more dense, keeps becoming, you know, requiring higher standards to handle. And uh, the amount of media and the amount of information is, is just growing. Yeah. My concern is evolution takes millions of years and we're condensing this to a short period of time. Also, you see the, those who survive evolution, the, uh, species and the animals that didn't make it, you don't get a lot of press. So, uh, I'm curious which side we'll end up on, whether we'll be the, us specifically and humanity in general, whether we'll be the ones who adapt enough to keep up with this or we fall off because we just can't i don't know yeah i mean and i i think that uh the way we look at evolution and that the what you're saying it takes millions of years at one point you know uh i think that that is also probably exponentially speeding up as well um you know and may continue to exponentially speed up for us to keep intact with what's going on around the rest of the world so who yeah. knows you know yeah well, um, I know for a fact, well, as long as this communication of speech and text and video works, then we'll keep doing this podcast and uh, hopefully we'll evolve along with the rest of the world. Yeah, we're going to pipe ourselves right into your brains. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening and watching. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode about the future. <laughs>